Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to recap all of our action from week 15 of the 2022 NFL season. And man, what a weekend it was. We had our first Saturday triple header of games, Colts and Vikings to kick it off and then to wrap it up on Saturday. We had the Dolphins and Bills in a big time AFC uh, East, I almost said North for some reason, AFC East matchup. But there was just so many games that we've got to talk about in today's episode. So guys, before we do get into all of that action, I do want to ask y'all to please make sure that you like, comment, share, rate, just do whatever you can to make sure we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast because, you know, like a lot of you guys listening, I love the sport of football and I want to be able to continue to upload these episodes to y'all each and every single week alongside all of the interviews that we've had, which we've had some pretty good ones, so make sure you go check those out as well. But um, anyway, guys, like I always say, I don't want to waste y'all's time, don't want to waste my time either. So let's get right into today's episode and to kick it all off. On Thursday Night Football, we had the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Seattle Seahawks in a pretty meaningful playoff game, right? You know, San Francisco wins. They guarantee themselves a home spot in the playoffs because they would clinch the NFC West with a win over the Seattle Seahawks. And then for the the Seahawks, you just want to find a way to bounce back on offense after what was a pretty disappointing week last week, which saw Geno Smith throw two interceptions. You didn't have Kenneth Walker. But in this game, they would have Kenneth Walker back, so at least they didn't have an excuse of, oh, well, our run game just was non-existent because we didn't have our best running back. You finally had him back. But, you know, they're going up against arguably, and I think at this point it's pretty much been confirmed, the best defense in all the NFL. Nick Bosa, who's making a really strong case to become Defensive Player of the Year, uh, the secondary has stepped up really well. They obviously have one of the better linebackers in all the NFL and Fred Warner, who commands the center of the field. And, you know, for the offensive side of the football, they really escaped a major scare with Debo Samuel because what I thought was going to be a torn ACL, it just so happened to be, I think it was a sprained a high ankle sprain or something along that something along the lines of he'll be out for a few weeks but he will return at some point so they will have him for the playoffs and also I think they found themselves a new starting quarterback in Brock Purdy because we saw him in his first career start last week against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers absolutely ball off they had Christian McCaffrey George Kittle so this was meant to be a really entertaining Thursday night matchup one of the better ones that we're going to have all year because as we all know Thursday Night Football has not really had its best debut on Amazon, to say the very least. But, you know, in this game between these two NFC West rivals, we would see the San Francisco 49ers continue their dominance on both the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football. You know, defensively, they have one of the best defensive lines in all the NFL with guys like Nick Bosa, who arguably you could say is the defensive player of the year. You've got Eric Armstead. You've got a few other guys, but in this game, they really were getting to Geno Smith as they would get three sacks in this game and just a numerous amount of quarterback uh, hurries. Really not allowed Geno Smith to have that time in the pocket that we got used to him seeing at the beginning of the year, you know, being able to torch defenses. And, you know, in this game, Geno Smith really was not able to go do Geno Smith things. Should have had a pick six in this game, but they got called back due to a really questionable roughing the passer penalty that got put on Nick Bosa which y'all can go look up the clip I- I'm just gonna say it outright that was most definitely not rough in the passer but apparently you know you can you just cannot tackle the quarterback anymore but anyway Geno Smith in this game a little bit better than last week didn't throw two interceptions but still did not look that good I mean still made a couple good throws overall was very 
I guess you could say reliable in this game, didn't make many mistakes. 31 of 44, 238 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. But the biggest thing with Geno Smith was the fact that he just had no time whatsoever to throw the football in this game, which a ton of credit needs to be given to the 49ers defense because they were just able to get to the quarterback like what felt like every play of the game. And then for the San Francisco 49ers, their offense – it just continues to thrive under Brock Purdy. You know, in his second straight start now, despite being a little bit banged up with an oblique injury, Brock Purdy still decided to start in a short week. And he looked really good, 17-26, 217 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Also showcased a little bit, little bit of his mobility in this game as well. So, or not mobility, kind of uh, ability to move around in the pocket. Sorry, not not mobility. He's not a running quarterback, but still was able to throw the football really darn well. Christian McCaffrey still continues to be an absolute beast. 26 carries for 108 yards passing with one touchdown. And George Kittle finally is able to get back, you know, doing some really good things statistically. But even in this game, he was just getting so much separation off of the Seattle Seahawks uh, secondary four receptions for 93 yards receiving and two touchdowns and what would really be a game that was not very offensively dominant right you know the 49ers their defense is really dominant we knew that going into this game but the the Seahawks defense I'll give them a little bit of credit you know only allowed San Francisco to put up 21 points but the Seahawks offense was just miserable through four through pretty much three quarter three and a half quarters of football uh, Kenneth Walker his first game back after missing last week 12 carries for 47 yards rushing with zero touchdowns. I mean, offensive line didn't block that well in this game, but Kenneth Walker broke off a few decent runs, so, I mean, there was at least some positives. And, you know, in that aspect, throwing the football, not the greatest game. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf would both have over 50 receiving yards. But once again, the story of the game would be the San Francisco 49er defense as they would hold Seattle to literally two field goals through three and a half quarters of football, but... Geno Smith, he would connect with Noah Fant late in the fourth quarter to shorten the lead to 21 to 13. But for the 49ers, Jordan Mason would be able to break off a long 55-yard run to seal the deal against the Seahawks. As the San Francisco 49ers, they now are NFC West champions. They're going to clinch a home home wild card game. So that's obviously a big thing in terms of playoffs. Um, they're able to get a really big time win over their rivals. The Seattle Seahawks is now also they are. They're looking like one of the best teams in the NFC, let alone the NFL. So, anyways, the 49ers going to beat the Seahawks 21-13. to The 49ers, they are now 10-4 and on the season. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say that real quick in a second. And the Seattle Seahawks, they now drop to 7-7. Seven and seven. They now fall down to 500. I mean, I think the Seahawks, they finally were, they're finally coming back down to reality a little bit, you know, Definitely, and I definitely bit on the hype train because I thought, wow, Geno Smith potentially could be competing for MVP. You know, the offense was looking really good. The defense has been really suspect these past few weeks, but stepped up in this game, but the offense did vice versa. They're still a really good team. They have a lot of key pieces to build on. You have all those draft picks. You still have Noah Fane, who I, who I think can has the potential to be one of the better tight ends in all of football. Um, and then on the flip side for the 49ers, looking at their quarterback room and kind of the position they're in right now, you know they're just a, they're a year removed from draft drafting Trey Lance with their third overall pick out of North Dakota State. So obviously they're not going to want to give up on Trey Lance. Jimmy G, I think it's at the point now where you have no real reason to re-sign him. If Brock, if Brock Purdy continues to play the way he has and even continues that way in the playoffs, 
and even leads them to a Super Bowl. They don't even have to necessarily win the Super Bowl or win the, uh, the NFC, just make it to that point. I think it. I think if you're San Francisco, you have to make the decision of we don't really need Jimmy G. Now, I understand the whole thing with Trey Lance. He's coming off a torn ACL. Probably would be. He should be ready by week one. But the way Brock Purdy's playing, he's, he, he looks like an improved version of Jimmy G. He's younger. He's cheaper. I don't really see a big reason to keep Jimmy G. I think, you know, the whole Jimmy G injury and Trey Lance injury might have been the best thing that happened to the San Francisco 49ers. And call me crazy, but a year from now when we're looking at the San Francisco 49er team, I think Brock Purdy may still be their starter. I mean, call me crazy all you want, but we've seen him before. We're a seventh-round quarterback, and I'm not calling him Tom Brady. But I'm just saying, we've seen a seventh-round quarterback come in for an injured veteran quarterback and has done some pretty good things. So, anyway, Brock Purdy leads the 49ers to a 21-13 win over the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night football. Now, guys, that would be it for Thursday. But like we, th- like we talked about early on, we had our first triple header games of – we had our first triple header of games on a Saturday. And to kick it all off in our noon game, we had the Indianapolis Colts taking on Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. And for the Minnesota Vikings, you know, offensively, not their worst performance last week against the Detroit Lions. We saw Justin Jefferson tie the, a franchise record for yards in a game lost with 223 receiving yards. He balled out. Dalvin Cook had a, you know had some issues, had one really costly fumble. The defense got absolutely decimated by Jared Goff and the uh, Lions passing offense. But luckily for them going in this week, they're going up against one of the more just poor offenses in all the NFL with Matt Ryan and the Indianapolis Colts. So, you know, in this game, the Colts offense, which is one that normally struggles to get going early on in games, they absolutely jumped out the gates. And when I mean jumped out of the gates, I mean they led at halftime 33-0 to over the Minnesota Vikings. The Minnesota Vikings were just struggling on special teams, on offense, on defense. I mean, they just simply could not find a resolution for this Indianapolis Colts team. Matt Ryan looked pretty good. The offense didn't do anything crazy, but they were just very consistent, not turning the ball over and anything like that. And, well, you see here, Matt Ryan, who, as we all know, back in the Super Bowl when the Falcons and Patriots played, and if any of us remember watching that game, the Falcons jumped out to a quick 28-3 lead. Now, as we all know, that lead would come crashing down. And <laughs> I feel bad for Matt Ryan. Um, history would once again repeat itself. This time, it's not, it's not you know, in not in a playoff game or Super Bowl or anything like that. It's a regular season game. But just this the, the second half of this game really symbolizes the entire Indianapolis Colts just season in a nutshell. Because the Minnesota Vikings just started kicking from every direction. And a lot of that needs to be given a lot of credit to is K.J. Osborne. I mean, this guy just balled out as well as Justin Jefferson. Both of them had over 120 receiving yards apiece. K.J. had 157 and a touchdown. Justin had 123 and a touchdown. Dalvin Cook also had 95 receiving yards and a touchdown. Adam Thielen had 41 receiving yards and a touchdown. I mean, this offense just came out of the I mean, just the gate in the second half, it was firing on all offenses. I mean, when I looked at the score at halftime, I'm like, okay, th- this game's over with. There's no chance. There's no chance Minnesota's going to come back. They're officially overhyped. I think it's time we quit, you know, just because of their record. They're not that good. 
But this team, just for some reason, they always find a way to come back. Kirk Cousins, who struggled heavily to start this game, you know, got sacked seven times in this game, didn't have Christian uh, Darisol towards the end of this game. He bounced back heavily in the second half, 34-54, 460 yards passing with four touchdowns and two interceptions, which all four of those passing touchdowns came in the second half. Running the football, Dalvin Cook was pretty much the main guy, as we all would know. 17 carries for 95 yards rushing and uh, didn't get a touchdown. But C.J. Ham, the fullback, he would have the lone rushing touchdown in this game. I mean, just Indianapolis, what's – I mean, I, just simply what happened in that second half? <laughs> I mean, Minnesota, when you look at it, you know, scoring by each quarter, Indiana, or not Indianapolis, Minnesota had 14 in the third, 22 in the fourth. And the Colts got shut out in the um, second half. Well, not shut out in the second half. They got shut. They only had a field goal in the third, but pretty much got shut out in the second half. Uh, Minnesota's defense deserves a lot of credit because they were able to really, you know, stop this Indianapolis offense, which was giving them a, a little bit of fit, you know, especially special teams and everything like that. But, I mean, just a ton of credit needs to be given to this Minnesota Vikings team for coming back, you know, having a huge lead or having a huge uh, deficit of 33-0. You know, you're pretty much going to say, okay, the game's over with, you know, it, it, there's no reason to even try and come back, but they came back in this game. Kirk Cousins finally got back into his 1 p.m. inner self, you know, truly the king of 1 p.m. games, and they would somehow bring this game into overtime. So now we're going to go into overtime, and, well, Lord and behold, Indianapolis doesn't do anything on their first drive. Vikings get the football, and Greg Joseph kicks the game-winning field goal as the Indianapolis, not the Indianapolis Colts, the Minnesota Vikings, they come back despite having a 33-0 deficit, the largest comeback win in NFL history, one of the most embarrassing losses in NFL history as the Minnesota Vikings go on to win in this miraculous comeback, 39-36 as Minnesota, they now improve to 11-3. Now, I could probably name you a few teams right now that are better than Minnesota, but at the end of the day, give Minnesota their credit. They're able to finish games despite how bad and poor they might play throughout the entirety of it. They still somehow find a way to win as the Minnesota Vikings kicked off Saturday in pretty electric fashion. Now, as we go to our second game, this game was definitely not as electric as I wish it would have been because, well, I think the expectations were probably set just a little bit too high. Now, we had the Baltimore Ravens who luckily were able to keep Tyler Huntley. He passed concussion protocol. So for everybody in the preview that I said they wouldn't have Tyler Huntley, I'm sorry. That was just me misreading information. He did play in this game. But really didn't do much. 17 to 30, 138 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. He was also sacked three times in this game. Didn't really have that many opportunities to do much because his offensive weapons just were really not that good in this game. Demarcus Robinson had two fumbles in this game. One being just an absolute horrendous when he tried to dive. Ball gets stripped from him and ends up being a really costly fumble. This was just a really rough game to watch. Just both teams. I mean, it was. I mean, it was one of those games where I know you've seen like Bugs Bunny and all of them. They taped their eyes open. It was definitely one of those games. You know, after the first game being so entertaining, so you know, nail biting. <laughs> this game just really was like, okay, when is it going to be over? Let's get on to the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins game, right? Um, and then you know, for Cleveland. This this would be Deshaun Watson's third starting, you know, third game as a starter. He's he's one and one. So hey, if he wants to continue to be over 500, this is a game you definitely want to win, especially in the uh, AFC North, where you could potentially ruin the Ravens' chances at winning the AFC North. And well, the Browns were not didn't really do anything fancy on offense. Deshaun Watson 
was definitely a lot more consistent in this game. 18 to 28, 161 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Now, is he 240 something million guaranteed worthy? I definitely would not say that right now, but he's still rusty. I think the rest of this year he still has an excuse. Now, if you know, we won't get into all of that, but I still think, you know, give him the rest of this year to at least get back and acclimated into playing football and then really next year judge him by how he plays because he this dude has not played literally since pretty much COVID was in its prime. So just kind of take that into consideration. Nick Chubb was still a maniac, had 99 yards rushing. Kareem Hunt, 24. Deshaun Watson had another game where he had over 20 rushing yards. So, hey, at least you know he has some type of mobility. Um, Baltimore, they were able to run the football pretty well too, which I don't think will get talked about enough. J.K. Dobbins, who I loved coming out of Ohio State, had a really good rookie year. Unfortunately, last year towards ACL, had to miss the entire year, but came back this year. Did deal with some injury issues, but has still played really solid when he's been on the field and showcased that once again. 13 carries for 125 yards rushing. Didn't get a touchdown on the day. The Ravens as a whole didn't get a touchdown on the day, but still, at least individually, a good game for J.K. Dobbins. Now, Oh, man, there'd be no scoring in the first quarter, no scoring in the fourth quarter. There would only be one touchdown in the third, and then there would be nine total points in the second. So this game, once again, was very dry, very bare bones, something that we've seen a lot of in the NFL this year, which I really hope does not continue to be a constant trend because it's just, man, it's just it's just painful to watch. I mean, it is absolutely painful to watch. Um, and, you know, and back to the Cleveland Browns, they at least had one good note in this game. They were able to see Denzel Ward come back and get an interception, which I think was his first interception of the year. Let me check real quick. Uh, yes, that was this was his first interception of the year. So, you know, good for Denzel Ward to finally get back in the game and be able to, you know, make an immediate impact. And that's exactly what the Browns defense would do in this game as they would hold the Baltimore Ravens to only three points as the Browns go on to win at home against their in-division rival 13 to 3 as the Browns. They now improve to 5 and 8 on the season. And then for the Baltimore Ravens, they now fall to 9 and 4 and their hopes of being number 1 in the AFC North all depended on how would the Cincinnati Bengals do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which we will talk about a little bit later on in today's episode. So guys, that would be it for our noon slate, our middle of the day slate. So now let's talk about our night game. Now this game Already started off really fun, right? You know, we all got robbed of that great snow game between the Browns and the Buffalo Bills. They moved it to Detroit, which understandably, there's plenty of reasons for that. But finally, we got a snow game, right? The whole entire stadium was whited out. I mean, ton of snow. Even on the seats, it was literally pretty much stacked up with snow. So you already knew this game was going to be really fun. You know, you had Mike McDaniels, the head coach of the Dolphins, taunting throughout the whole week. You know, we we want it colder. And, you know, pretty much, you know, everybody kind of criticizing them about, you know, bringing, you know, bench warmers literally to L.A., which I joked about. I talked a little bit about it in the preview. I thought that was kind of a little bit just funny. And, you know, all of us really wanted to see how would Miami react to playing in weather like this. And, you know, luckily for the Miami Dolphins, the blizzard that we were expecting didn't even occur until the fourth quarter. You know, the stadium was still snow-filled and everything like that. But luckily enough, the grounds crew... They were able to literally clear out the entire thing, except the stands, which were still just hugely stacked up with snow. And you can you look up pictures and everything like that. The best part about it was Buffalo fans were throwing snowballs on the field during the game. Now, apparently some of them had ice in it, which I do not, you know, agree with whatsoever. But, I mean, what are you going to expect when you have literally an endless amount of snow in the in the stands, right? 
and Miami was trolling y'all a little bit, saying, I wish it was colder the entire week. So, I mean, it was kind of a recipe made for disaster almost. I mean, Miami, they probably knew what they were getting into. But, you know, as bad as we thought, as you know, myself included, as bad as we thought Miami was going to play on offense and just in this game in general, they really didn't look that bad on offense. Tua Tagovailoa would go 17 of 30, 234 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. So not a bad game by him by any means. And, you know, Raheem Mostert, the former San Francisco 49er and absolute speed demon that he is, he finally had his real first good game as a Miami Dolphin. 17 carries for 136 yards rushing. I mean, it was it was a really solid day for this Miami Dolphins um, offense. And Jalen Waddle, who's really been getting carried these past few weeks by Tyreek Hill, who's kind of helped, helped him catch up with a lot of the slack, was able to kind of help Tyreek out a little bit in this game. As Jalen Waddle would only have three receptions, but he would have 114 yards receiving and a touchdown with a long of, a, of 67. So this was definitely Jalen Waddle's environment. You know, he does his little Waddle penguin celebration. So he was absolutely fit for this type of weather. Tyreek Hill, nine receptions for 69 yards receiving and a touchdown. But Buffalo's offense was just absolutely 100 times better in this game. I mean, overall, Josh Allen, Looked phenomenal, 25 of 40, 304 yards passing with four touchdowns and zero interceptions. You could tell from his days playing at Wyoming. That definitely helped him a little bit for playing a weather like this. You know, Josh Allen originally a Cali boy, but went up to uh, Wyoming for two years. So at least he had a little bit of uh, snow experience under his belt. And I think he's definitely adapted pretty well to that just absolutely crazy Buffalo weather. Um, Josh Allen once again would lead the team in rushing with 77 yards rushing. Devin Singletary with 42 and then James Cook with 34. Um, Dawson Knox who's really looked good these past few weeks. You know, Last week against the Jets had the, had the game winning touchdown for the Buffalo Bills and once again looked really good in this game. Six receptions for 98 yards receiving and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, not a crazy statistical performance but he would have 60 yards receiving. Gabe Davis with 56. But the major thing in this game would not necessarily not necessarily be you know the stat machine type of wide receivers and running backs that you would want, but it'd be how well Josh Allen was just kind of spreading the football around because Quentin Morris, Naeem Hines, who they traded from in, from Indianapolis, got his first uh, touchdown as a Buffalo Bill, and then James Cook. And then obviously Dawson Knox each had a receiving touchdown in this game. So he was spreading the football out really well in this game, getting a lot of guys the ball, especially. We also saw Cole Beasley return back to Buffalo too, which was just kind of funny to see considering how all that stuff ended and everything like that. So we saw him get one reception in this game as well. But, you know, a ton of credit, definitely a ton of credit needs to be given to Buffalo's offense in this game. And, well, the game would be pretty much neck and neck throughout the entirety. You know, going into the final seconds of the fourth quarter, it would be 29-29. And, you know, unfortunately, Miami would have a very costly pass interference call, which would bring the football down right into Miami territory. So all Buffalo had to do was knee the ball until it got to the last few seconds, and then they would kick the game-winning field goal as in what definitely was the second-best game of Saturday. We had the Buffalo Bills taking down the Miami Dolphins 32-29. to As the Buffalo Bills, they now are 11-3 and pretty much have sole possession of the um, AFC East. And then for the Miami Dolphins, you know, you fall to 8-6, and you're still a good team. But definitely these past few weeks have been a little bit rough. But as we all knew going into this game, they're going into weather that definitely does not favor them whatsoever. So kind of the outcome we all expected. So it's going to be fun. it's going to be kind of you know interesting to see how they bounce back because right now they still have the New England Patriots breathing down their neck. And we'll talk a little bit about how the Patriots game went a little bit later. But 
anyways, y'all, that will wrap up all of our games that we had on Thursday and then our triple header that we had on Saturday. So now let's get down to Sunday's game and to kick it all our Sunday's games and to kick it all off. We're going to talk about our noon slate like we always do. And the first game I want to talk about at 12 p.m. we had the Dallas Cowboys going down to Jacksonville. And what was a pretty intriguing matchup because the Jaguars were coming fresh off a week in which they went to Tennessee, you know, Derrick Henry still was able to run the football pretty effectively, but they were really able to, you know, off defensively, which is something they hadn't done in a while, kind of limit, you know, the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, the offense looked incredible. Uh, Trevor Lawrence really seems like he's starting to get, you know, starting to get things going in the NFL, if you know what I mean. I mean, he just looked absolutely amazing. He's been connecting with Zay Jones, a, you know, really good this entire season. Also him and Evan Ingram. It just all he's just really Trevor Lawrence is finally starting to showcase a lot of that potential that we saw when he was in Clemson. And you know, now they're having a really good team come into town in the Dallas Cowboys whose defense is not as forgiving, you know, as the Tennessee Titans. So this matchup from the start was gonna be really interesting. You know, obviously the Jaguars had a five and eight record going into this game. Cowboys ten and three. It's kind of a no brainer, like, you know, oh the Cowboys should easily win this game. But as we all saw with how the Minnesota Vikings are you know, they're 11-3, and three and they've had probably the most close games this entire season. So this matchup was meant to be a pretty good one to kick us off on Sunday. And the way that this game started, it really looked like it would be the Cowboys running away. As at halftime, the Cowboys led um, 21-7 to over the Jacksonville Jaguars. The offense was looking pretty good. The defense was doing a really good job of not allowing Trevor Lawrence to have, you know, all of those explosive plays that we've gotten so used to seeing. But, man, did the wheels completely fall off in this game for the Dallas Cowboys in the second half. I mean, just they just fell off completely. Dak Prescott, who looked really good in the first half, went back to having a lot more turnovers through two interceptions, one of which would be the game-sealing pick six in overtime. We'll talk about that here in a second. But just this team looked just... They didn't look right. They didn't look like a team that you expect to go into the playoffs and really contend, you know, especially let alone one of the best teams in the NFC. Now, statistically on the day, Dak Prescott did not do bad. Outside of his two interceptions, he did pretty good. 23 of 30, 256 yards passing with three touchdowns and then two interceptions. Now, the pick six, which is what you're going to mostly hear about, I don't really want to put a lot of blame on Dak because the way the the way that the ball bounced off of Noah Brown is really unlucky to begin with because it went right into Rayshon Jenkins' hands. But at the same time, your wide receivers falling down. You nine times out of ten, you're being chased in that you know in that uh, in that situation. You throw the football you know throw the football out of you know throw the football away. You're out of the pocket. You have no reason to really try to make that throw. Do the smart thing. Throw the football away, but at the same time, you want to get that extra yardage, be able to get your kicker into the best position possible. So I understand both sides of this, but this was just a rough game. And you know, don't even get me started on Dallas's defense because their secondary got cooked in this game by Jacksonville's uh, pass game. Trevor Lawrence looked fantastic, 27 of 42, 318 yards passing with four touchdowns and then one interception. Now. Trevor Lawrence did have one fumble, which could have costed them the game. It was on the final. It was on the Jaguars' final uh, drive and regulation. He ended up. He had a huge, uh, huge gain running the football, but he ended up fumbling it, gave it right back to the Cowboys. But the Cowboys, they ended up going three and out, punted the ball back to Jacksonville. Jacksonville drives down the field, sets up Riley Patterson for the game-tying field goal, and that's exactly what would happen. So we get sent into overtime and. Well, the Jaguars don't do much on their first drive. They punt the ball back to the Cowboys. The Cowboys, they get a little bit going. Tony Pollard had about two pretty good rushes. And, 
Lord and behold, Dak Prescott tries to connect with Noah Brown and over the middle of the field and bounces right back up to Rayshon Jenkins in his hands, and Rayshon Jenkins takes it back to the house for the game-winning uh, pick six. Now, are the Dallas Cowboys a bad team? No. Do they have a lot of things they need to fix? Yes. Defense is a big one. You lost Vayton, you lost Leighton Van Der Esch in this game due to a neck injury. Hopefully everything is okay with him. The secondary did not look good whatsoever. Kelvin Joseph was getting exposed by Zay Jones in this game and Christian Kirk. Zay Jones in this game, who I said was one of Trevor Lawrence's best targets, one of his favorite targets. He's going to get the ball a lot, and that's exactly what happened in this game. Zay Jones had six receptions for 109 yards receiving and three touchdowns. Christian Kirk, who a lot of people hated as a free agent acquisition for the Jaguars because, well, frankly, the price tag was probably a little bit too much for a guy that hadn't been to a Pro Bowl, was not an all-pro type of guy, you know, didn't really have that much success in Arizona, but the way he fits this Doug Peterson team and offense, he's absolutely worth every cent of that contract as Christian Kirk would have 92 yards receiving and then Evan Ingram would also have 62 of his own. And then we saw Travis Etienne, who, who's had a you know rocky past couple weeks, has been banged up a little bit, but Travis Etienne got right, right back to where he was a few weeks before that, having 19 carries for 103 yards rushing, and but didn't get a touchdown, but still not a bad game for him. This, was, this game was really just really more of Dallas lost this game. Now, a ton of credit needs to be given to Trevor Lawrence in the offense. They absolutely looked fantastic in the second half, putting up 27 points to get right back in the game. But, man, the Cowboys just secondary looked god-awful. They just could not stop anything that Trevor Lawrence had come in their way. And for in a game that if they won... You know, they're not only are they right back in the NFC East, they clinch a playoff spot and are guaranteed to at least be in the wild card round. So a game that had a lot of implications. I mean, in the worst case scenario, you get sent to overtime and you tie. You're still you're still guaranteed to make a playoff spot. And with Jacksonville, they just they wanted this game more. They wanted to be able to keep continue to keep their playoff hopes alive, especially with how weak of a division they're in in the AFC South. As the Jacksonville Jaguars, they pull off the surprising upset at home, which I had said a little bit ago was kind of a trap game for the Cowboys to begin with. The Jaguars were hot going into this game, and the Cowboys were not as hot because of the game previous they had against the Texans. But in this game, Jack, the Jacksonville they get the game-winning pick six in overtime as they win 40 to 34 over the Dallas. Cowboys, the Jaguars, they improved to 6-8, and eight, and their playoff hopes continue to stay alive. And then for the Dallas Cowboys, they have to wait yet, yet another week until they're able to officially say that they're in the playoffs as their record now drops to 10-4. and four. Now, y'all, for our next game, we're going to stay in the um, NFC East, but we're going to go up to Soldier Field as we had Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Chicago Bears. Now, for Jalen Hurts in this game, he scored three touchdowns. All were on the ground. The only bounce side was really the fact that they weren't able to pass the ball as effectively getting into the end zone, but they still passed the ball pretty darn well. Jalen Hurts on the day would go 22 of 37, 315 yards passing with zero touchdowns, and then those two interceptions I just talked about. So a little bit of a shaky, you know, stat line considering you're going up against a not-so-good team in the uh, Chicago Bears whose defense is not really that good, to be frank. But, um... But, yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts absolutely killed it on the ground. He now leads the NFL in quarterback uh, rushing touchdowns with, let me look real quick. Uh, I think it's, yeah, four. I think 14. It's about 14 rushing yards, or not 14 rushing yards, 14 rushing touchdowns on this season. He had 61 rushing yards in this game. Miles Sanders also had 42. But the dynamic duo of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, a duo that they made in the offseason, you know, the year prior, you drafted Devontae Smith out of Alabama, you went and traded for A.J. Brown, 
it continued to look really good in this game. A.J. Brown had nine receptions for 181 yards receiving. Devontae Smith with five receptions for 126 yards receiving. And those two would pretty much be the only targets that Jalen would actually target in this game because the next highest receiver would be Kenneth Gainwell with nine receiving yards on the day. So he was absolutely connecting well with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Then on the flip side for the Chicago Bears, um, Justin Fields continues to be an absolute monster running the football. Had himself yet another incredible rushing, what should have been a touchdown if he stayed just a little bit more in bounds, but was able to break so many tackles, avoid the sack, and I mean, just imagine how good this kid would be if he had a competent offensive line, had enough weapons around him, say like with what you know Jalen Hurts has. I mean, this dude could potentially be a Super Bowl caliber type of quarterback if he's in the right system. Um, Justin Fields also threw the football pretty well. Despite being sacked six times in this game, he threw for 152 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Now, unfortunately for the Chicago Bears, they kept this game pretty close throughout the entire. It was really back and forth, back and forth, very similar to the Jaguars and Cowboys game. But the Philadelphia Eagles, they were able to escape the Windy City with a W as they go on to beat the Chicago Bears 25-20. to As the Eagles, they still remain with only one loss on the season coming to their in-division rival, the Washington Commanders, but they've got a big game next week on Christmas Eve going up against Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys at AT&T Stadium. But for right now, the Philadelphia Eagles, they're 13-1 as they get a 25-20 win over the Chicago Bears. Now, y'all, let's go down. Let's go back down south. We're going to go to the um, AFC South, which is the worst division this year by far in the NFL or the NFC, the NFC South, not AFC. Well, those both of those divisions are pretty bad, but the NFC South is a little bit worse. But in this game, we had the Atlanta Falcons with our new starting quarterback, um, who was a third round or fourth round pick for them, and Desmond Ritter. He now is officially the starting quarterback. Marcus Mariota is the backup, going out to New Orleans to take on the New Orleans Saints. And well, Andy Dalton, who has been very inconsistent, very inconsistent this year, has those type of games where he looks really good one week, looks bad one week, looks good one week, looks bad one week, which I've said for so many weeks now. He went right back to having a pretty good week. Andy Dalton on the day go 11 to 17, 151 yards passing with two touchdowns. And to make matters even better, Taysom Hill also was able to get get going a little bit in the past game. Went two for two with an 80 yard touchdown or eight not 80 yard touchdown. It was a oh man he had 80 he had 80 yards receiving on the day, which he would connect with Rashid Rashid Shahid on a on a 68 yard reception, but. I mean, hey, the quarterbacks look pretty good in this game. Alvin Kamara finally was starting to get going. And, you know, if you're a New Orleans Saints fan, that's kind of all you wanted was Alvin Kamara to finally get going this season. And this was definitely the game for that. 21 carries for 91 yards rushing. Uh, Taysom Hill also had 30 of his own. I mean, that dude is just an absolute beast. And then Rashid, or Rashid Shahid, who was an undrafted rookie for the New Orleans Saints in this past year's draft out of, uh, out of Weber State, he has been balling out for them. One of the more underrated, undrafted guys that we have this year. He had three receptions for 95 yards receiving on the day and one touchdown. Jawan Johnson also had two uh, receiving touchdowns on the day. As the New Orleans Saints defensively were able were able to really limit, I guess you could say, the uh, Atlanta Falcons for the most part. The run game 
really they couldn't. Tyler Algier, who's really stepped up as the running back one for the Atlanta Falcons, 17 carries for 139 yards rushing and one touchdown. Cordell Patterson looked good, 14 uh, carries for 52 yards rushing and one touchdown. Drake London also, the first-round pick out of Atlanta, or not out of Atlanta, out of USC, who they got, who's been pretty solid this year. You know, when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. Seven receptions for 70 yards uh, receiving. And Desmond Ritter didn't look that bad either, 13-26, to 97 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. He also got sacked four times in this game, so you really can't blame the man because, as we all know, Atlanta does not necessarily have the absolute best offensive line. So, but in this game, it'd just be a little bit too a little bit too late. You know, they would get the only touchdown in the fourth quarter, but unfortunately, they would not be able to get a field goal or touchdown to either tie the game or win the game as the New Orleans Saints would go on to beat their in-division rivals, the Nor uh, the Atlanta Falcons, 21 to 18. Is right now, this division just remains so like it's still so much in play, and despite you know the Panthers losing. Despite, obviously, you have the Falcons losing, all of these teams are pretty much still in the thick of it in terms of being able to potentially get into first place. And we'll talk a little bit about how the Buccaneers and Bengals game went. But anyway, the New Orleans Saints, they get a win over their in-division rival, the Atlanta Falcons. Now, y'all, for our next game, we're going to go up north this time as we had the Detroit Lions taking on the New York Jets. And... Well, to start this game, Zach Wilson didn't really look that bad. You know, had a couple really good passes, you know, a lot more accurate than we've seen him a lot. Was able to connect with C.J. Uzama on a pretty long touchdown reception, a 40-yard touchdown reception. And, well, unfortunately, towards the, in, the, in the second half, Zach Wilson started to kind of get a little bit more back into his normal Zach Wilson days. You know, despite sitting or being inactive the past three games due to just Poor play, especially after that Patriots game in which he completely threw his team under the bus by saying he was not responsible. You know, he didn't feel like he let the defense down. And, well, in this game, he definitely let the defense down because they were able to hold Detroit to only 20 points in this game. Didn't allow Jared Goff to go off like crazy like we've seen in the past few weeks, despite Jared Goff still looking pretty good. 23 of 38, 252 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions for Goff. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown still looked pretty good. Khalif Raymond actually had himself a punt return touchdown to open uh, open up the game in the first quarter, which that was just a beautiful and I mean beautiful execution by Detroit special teams. But um, you know, in this game, the Jets offense it just struggled to get anything going in the run game. Only had 50 total yards rushing in this game. Zonovan Knight, uh, undrafted rookie out of um, NC State, who's looked really good these past few weeks. You know, with James Robinson not really playing, Michael Carter obviously. Brees Hall out for the year with an ACL injury. He's really stepped up and looked pretty good, but in this game, only had 23 rushing yards. Michael Carter had 15. And then for Zach Wilson, um, I definitely wouldn't say this is probably one of his better performances he's had so far this year. 18 of 35, 317 yards passing with two touchdowns and then one interception. He was sacked four times as well, but uh, it's just, you know what you're going to get out of a guy like Zach Wilson. You know, he's going to at least get one pick a game. If that, maybe you'll be lucky if he only gets one. But the defense... Still didn't look that bad. Didn't allow Detroit to have anything crazy in the run game. Held Detroit to only 107 yards rushing. But unfortunately, it would be the Detroit Lions that would take on or that would uh, finish the game holding on, holding off, sorry, holding off against the New York Jets. As the Detroit Lions would go into MetLife Stadium and beat the New York Jets 20-17 to as the Lions, their win streak continues. And right now, they are literally only a few games behind for a wild card spot. So the Detroit Lions, they're knocking on the door to get into the playoffs as now they sit at 7-7. Seven and seven. And then for the Jets, 
you know, despite a really good start to the season with all the injuries and everything kind of derailing them, they now fall to 7-7 seven and seven and likely are really out of any type of race to even get back into the division. But a wild card spot is still not out of the hopes for the New York Jets. Now, y'all, for our next game we're going to talk about here on Sunday's slate for our little uh, noon slate, we're going to go out to Carolina as we had a pretty interesting matchup between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Carolina Panthers. Both of these teams really are going to be more focused on getting better draft position, right? The Steelers not likely to get a playoff spot, really just trying to help Mike Tomlin keep his, you know, 500 record going on right now. And then for the Carolina Panthers, just want to get a better draft position. And, you know, with Sam Darnold now starting again, you know, he's looked really good these past few games, especially against the Broncos. Last week didn't look that bad against the Seahawks. So going into this game, expecting a little bit from him, but, you know, not nothing crazy. Didn't really do too much. Offensive line, I mean, just completely allowed him to get pressured the entire game by uh, by T.J. Watt and all those guys on the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line. As Sam Darnold would go 14-23, 225 yards passing with one touchdown to zero interceptions. But... For the Carolina Panthers, their offense this year has really been, you know, ran well when their when their run game has really been going right. You know, we've seen Deontay Foreman have some monster games, multiple three rushing touchdown games this year, and well, you know, a ton of credit needs to be given to Pittsburgh because they held the Carolina Panthers run game to only 21 yards rushing in this game. So. It just an extremely good job by Pittsburgh's defense for not allowing them to really get much going. DJ Moore had an incredible catch, though, in this game. Incredible touchdown catch. Uh, five receptions for 73 yards receiving and that one touchdown we just talked about. And then for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mitchell Trubisky, who's now the starting quarterback because Kenny Pickett suffered a, uh, suffered a concussion last week against Baltimore. He now is finally back in the starting role, and he looked pretty good. You know, didn't do anything special, but was reliable, right? You don't want him to make those costly um, turnovers. Don't want to make the, those costly mistakes. And that's exactly what he did in this game. 17-22, 179 yards passing. Didn't have a touchdown or interception, but I think Pittsburgh Steelers fans will take that regardless. And when you look at how well the run game was, they really didn't have to do that much in the past game. Najee Harris absolutely went off in this game. 24 carries for 86 yards rushing and a touchdown. Jalen Warren, the former Oklahoma State Cowboy, 11 carries for 38 yards rushing and one touchdown. A guy who Mike Tomlin is really high on, undrafted guy out of Oklahoma State. So just a kind of another guy to keep your eye on. And then Mitchell Trubisky also got into the end zone for a rushing touchdown as well. And, well, the Pittsburgh Steelers, their defense really dominated this game. I mean, Cameron Hayward got a sack. T.J. Watt got a sack. Alex Highsmith got a sack. I mean, they just were completely su like just suffocating this Carolina Panther offense as the Pittsburgh Steelers go on to beat the Panthers 24-16 as the Steelers, they now improve to 6-8 and eight on the season, and the Carolina Panthers, they now fall to 5-9. and nine. But at the end of the day, they're just trying to find their next franchise quarterback because Baker Mayfield... Um, experiment didn't work. He's already uh, already over on the Rams, and we'll talk a little bit about how the Rams and Packers Monday Night Football game went here a little bit later. You know, obviously Matt Corral out for the year with the ACL injury. P.J. Walker not going to be your franchise guy, and then Sam Darnold, as we all know, just a complete bust. So Panthers right now are just looking to find their new, you know, new and true solution at the quarterback position. So. Anyways, y'all, we're gonna we're gonna um, go back down south. So we keep going from north south, north south. But we're gonna go down to Houston, Texas, as we had one of the more inter interesting endings too, because this whole weekend was just filled with games that that just were completely, and I mean utterly, completely, just like last second type endings and crazy endings. We're gonna talk about one of the craziest endings you will see here in a little bit with the uh, Raiders and Patriots game. But we're gonna go down to Houston, where the Kansas City Chiefs took on the Houston Texans and. 
A ton of credit needs to be given to the Houston Texans because they did not allow Patrick Mahomes and that offense to really have you know their normal explosive days. Like when you look statistically wise, Patrick Mahomes was dang near perfect. 36 of 41, 336 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Travis Kelsey had himself another 100-yard receiving day with 105. Juju Smith had 88. Jarek McKinnon had 70 yards receiving and a touchdown. Mark, uh MVS had 26 yards receiving and a touchdown. But the defense of the Kansas City Chiefs would really cost them in this game. I mean, they just allowed the Houston Texans to pretty much stay alive this entire time. Royce Freeman, the former Oregon Duck, had himself a pretty good game, 51 yards rushing. Davis Mills also looked pretty good, too. You know, something we haven't really seen so much this year. We saw a little bit of it last year, but this year hadn't really seen too much of that. 12 of 24, 121 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And well, the Texans would take the Chiefs into overtime, and luckily enough for Kansas City, they would be able to get a touchdown on their first possession, so they wouldn't have to worry about you know giving the Texans the ball back. So Kansas City, they barely survived against the Texans. We saw last week the Texans really gave the Cowboys you know their money's worth up at AT&T, and we see the Texans once again, despite being a 112-1 team now, they, 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 held, they pretty much held a Kansas City Chiefs team to barely beat them in overtime. So, I mean, good game for the Texans. You know, they haven't won a game at home yet this year, which I don't think people realize. They're 0-6-1 right now at home. But once again, they're probably going to end up getting the number one overall pick, which is something they're going to need because they're probably going to end up taking a quarterback, and especially with all the picks they got from the Browns in exchange for Deshaun Watson. I think the Texans, they'll be fine. But definitely, these next few years, if you are a Texas fan, expect them to be just a little bit rough. Now, y'all, that's it for our noon slate of games. So now let's get to our midday slate of games. And these games were just absolutely, just utterly, <laughs> utterly insane. Um, but first, we're going to kick it off with kind of one of the more boring games we had this weekend. And that would be the Arizona Cardinals taking on the Denver Broncos. Now, this game started off really slow. It was only 6-3 to three Arizona at halftime. J.J. Watt was absolutely getting to Brett Ripien this entire game. He had three sacks on the day. So it was good to see J.J. Watt kind of entering his former, you know, defensive player of the year self. But the offense of the Cardinals, you don't have, you know, you don't have uh, Kyler Murray for the rest of the year. He tours ACL. You know, you're down to Colt McCoy. And well, Colt McCoy struggled in this game when he was not getting sacked. 13 to 21 for 78 yards uh, passing with zero touchdowns and then one interception. But ultimately, he would end up suffering a concussion. So now they'd be down to their third-string quarterback and former Penn State Nittany Lion, Trace McSorley, who's kind of become like a TikTok meme almost for that little song they've got going for him. But um, Trace McSorley in this game would go 7 of 15, 95 yards passing with zero touchdowns and then two very costly interceptions. And, you know, when we look on the flip side for the Denver Broncos, we already knew the Arizona Cardinals. They're injury riddled. Their season already is over. You know, they lost playoff contention last week. They're pretty much just trying to get into a better draft pick position. And same kind of same case for the Broncos, too. But, you know, how are you going to get some momentum going into 2023? And, you know, Brett Ripping in this game did not look that bad outside of one interception and getting sacked seven dang times. I mean, his offensive line was just horrible in this game. He would go 21 to 26, 197 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And Latavius Murray would actually be the star of this game, the former Minnesota Viking running back who really took off the seat, literally took off in the scene back in like 2017, 2018, also former New Orleans Saint. 
He would have himself an amazing game, 24 carries for 130 yards rushing and one touchdown. Because when the Broncos realized, hey, we can't really pass the football because we're not giving our quarterback enough time to throw the football, we'll just hand the ball off to Latavius Murray, and he did some pretty darn good things with that. As the Denver Broncos would be able to finally get back in the win column against the Arizona Cardinals, 24-15. to as the, uh, as the Denver Broncos, they now improved to 4-10 and on the year, and then the Arizona Cardinals, they now fall to 4-10. and And... You know, for the Denver Broncos, you really saw also a lot of their defensive like key pieces. You know, they had Randy Gregory finally back, who's been on IR most of the year. You saw Justin Simmons have two interceptions, one of those being the game ceiling interception. Or no, that's Patrick Sertan, my bad. But Justin Simmons had two interceptions of his own, and then Patrick Sertan had the game ceiling interception. So the defense finally was able to step up a lot more. You know, obviously very injury riddled as well. You know, didn't have Randy Gregory for the gooder for the better part of this year too. So but anyway, the Denver Broncos get a much needed win. You know, kind of screw over the Seahawks a little bit in draft position as they go on to beat the Arizona Cardinals. Now, y'all, the next game we're going to talk about, this is going to be one of the more wild games you will ever see. A game that was neck and neck throughout the entirety of it. You know, going into the fourth quarter was 24 to 24. And on the final play of the game, it just I can't really it's something you're gonna have to go watch and see because I can't really put it into words you know Ramon J Stevenson gets handed the ball right you know Patriots are probably gonna want to go into overtime it's 24 to 24 right you know why risk it right Ramon J Stevenson laterals it back to Jacoby Myers and then Jacoby Myers for some reason just throws the football way behind him trying to get to Mac Jones Chandler Jones the former New England Patriot picks it off stiff arms Mac Jones into the literal earth's core and then returns it for a touchdown to win the game. I mean, it was, this was one of the more crazy plays you legitimately will ever see. Uh, game would end 30-24 to 30, 24 because when that play was over with, uh, regulation was already over, and, I mean, it was just it was just wild. And, you know, what's funny is no one really talked about this. Ramon J. Stevenson went off in this game, 19 carries for 172 yards rushing and a touchdown. I mean, he legitimately could not be stopped, but – the only reason people are going to remember him is because of that lateral. Now, there's a lot of, you know, weird coaching moments about who did, you know, whose fault really was it. You know, did they tell him you have to lateral it, don't go down, we don't want to go into overtime, yada, yada, yada. I don't really know because this game just was flunky to say the least, right? Um, Mac Jones did not look good in this game, 13-31, of 112 yards passing. He still is continuing to have some decent struggles. You know, outside of the Minnesota Viking game, really hasn't done much this season. Uh, you know, when once again, like I talked about the passing game for the Patriots, really couldn't get anything going. Um, and then for the Las Vegas Raiders, you know, their passing game really wasn't that much better. Devontae Adams only had 28 receiving yards on the day, but Derek, Derek Carr would have three passing touchdowns. Each, each one of those would be to Keelan Cole, Darren Waller in his first game back for the Raiders, and then Mac Holland. So this game was very wonky, but this game is going to pretty much be summarized for how the ending went, and rightfully so, because that has got to be one of the dumbest plays you will ever see probably in NFL history as the Las Vegas Raiders are able to get the upset win at home over the New England Patriots and really kind of helped ruin the New England Patriots uh, playoff chances because the Patriots, if they wanted to stay alive in the, in the playoffs, they were going to really need to win this game. And unfortunately, just a stupid mistake probably costed them the rest of their season as, a, as the Las Vegas Raiders going to win 30-24 to and one of the wildest finishes you will probably ever see. Now, y'all, for our next game we're going to talk about, we're going to um, stay out west where we, ha where we had an AFC matchup between the Tennessee Titans and the Los, and the Los Angeles Chargers. Not the Las Vegas Chargers, the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, in this game, it was, 
it was pretty boring through three quarters of football. Only 14 points were scored through three quarters. Not a lot was going on. It was definitely more of a defensive, you know, showdown, which ton of credit to Tennessee. I've always said they've had a really underrated defense, and they showed it in this game. Forced two interceptions off of Justin Herbert as well. They were getting a decent amount of pass rush too. But um, in this game, it, it really would get kind of wonky towards the end. And, well, the game would be tied at 14-14 apiece, and Justin Herbert would lead them to a miraculous just drive down the field to set up Cameron Dicker, a.k.a. Dicker the kicker, the former Texas Longhorn kicker, which would set up the game-winning field goal, which he would make right through the uprights and give the Chargers a 17-14 win over the Tennessee Titans at home. Justin Herbert really didn't play his best ball until the end of the game, 28 of 42, 313 yards passing with zero touchdowns and two interceptions. Um, and then on the flip side for the Titans, Ryan Tannehill just, got, I think he got, yeah, he got pretty banged up on one play. His ankle got rolled underneath him, but he would go 15 of 22, 165 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Derrick Henry had himself a decent game. I mean, it's kind of weird saying having a 100-plus rushing yard game is okay, but, you know, never really got anything going, never had any of those breakaway runs we've always got used to seeing because his longest was 13 yards in this game, but he'd have 21 carries for 104 yards rushing and one touchdown. But ultimately, Dicker the kicker would strike again for the third time this year, kicking a game-winning field goal as the Los Angeles Chargers beat the Titans as the Chargers now improve to 8-6 and six and are still very much in the playoffs. I mean, they really just need to pretty much win out the rest of the year or at least win two of their last three games. And then for the Titans, you fall to 7-7 seven and seven and your playoff hopes are still alive because you know why? They play in one of the worst divisions in all of the NFL and are still our first in the AFC South. So, Titans fans, you'll probably end up hosting a uh, wild card game. So, at least there is something to look forward to. So, Anyways, y'all, the next game I want to talk about, which was our last uh, late slate game that we had, and just one of the more just poor performances we've seen out of um, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense because, man, going into halftime, they had a 17-3 lead over Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, when I watched it, because I was at a TCU basketball game, and when I watched this, or when I looked at the score, and I'm like, okay, they're finally getting things figured out. You know, they're back at home. You know, should be pretty, you know, pretty smooth sailing, right? Well, the Cincinnati Bengals immediately respond with putting up 17 points in the third quarter. You know, 17 unanswered points in the third quarter. And they continued that dominance in the fourth as well. You know, they gave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think it was, let me see real quick. They gave them one touchdown at the end of the game, but... This was just a rough game. I mean, a rough game if you were a Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan because you're kind of left, you know, kind of scratching your head like our defense just collapsed because the run game of the Bengals wasn't even that good in this game. Only had 53 total rushing yards, but Joe Burrow would go off. 27 to 39, 200 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Mitchell Wilcox, T. Higgins, each would have a receiving touchdown. And, I mean, just the defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just absolutely collapsed. And it didn't help either that Tom Brady had two fumbles in this game as well and also had two interceptions as well. Because Tom Brady, when you look statistically-wise, didn't play horrible. 30 of, 30 of 44, 312 yards passing with three touchdowns. But when you look at him having four turnovers in this game, that really is what cost you know Tampa Bay this game heavily. So I don't want to put a, a, just a buttload of blame on the Buccaneers defense, which obviously... You still allowed four uh, four passing touchdowns off of Joe Burrow, but still, I mean, Tom Brady looked rough in this game. As the Bengals, they go down to Raymond James Stadium, and they go on to upset, the not upset, but go on to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 34-23. to Now, y'all, we have one final game, Sunday Night Football. 
a big time matchup in the NFC uh, East, which would determine who would be in third place and would likely end up getting a wild card playoff game as we had the New York Giants taking on the Washington Commanders. And this game is going to be really known for just how bad the referees were. You know, I'm going to kind of flash forward a little bit and go to the final drive. You know, the Washington Commanders, they were on the goal line. And you'll see a clip on Twitter where Terry McLaurin points to the ref, which, in case you don't know, a wide receiver does that to make sure that they're not offsides because they have to be lined on the line of scrimmage. Terry McLaurin points to the, on the ref. The ref says, yeah, 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 you're good. Immediately after Terry McLaurin looks away, the ref grabs down in his pocket, grabs the flag, and then once the play you know, officially starts, the ball gets snapped, the ref just throws the flag up in the air. And you're kind of left wondering, whoa, 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 you said he was good, right? Which that would ultimately end up costing Washington from getting what could have been a game-tying game touchdown. Then they get back to five yards. Taylor Heineke tries to connect with Curtis Samuel. And, and, you know, the play when you watch it, and the more time I've been able to kind of watch it and digest it, so to speak, it looked like pass interference. He had, he had him completely wrapped around, but there's also an other side of the argument where he was playing you know, he was playing the football, not necessarily trying to hold on to him, but it just it just depends on how you look at it. But outside of that, this game was a pretty fun defensive game to watch. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau got all the action started when he had a strip sack off of Taylor Heineke. You know, finally we're able to see a lot of that explosiveness from Kayvon Thibodeau. And um, the New York Giants offense didn't do anything crazy, but Saquon Barkley was consistently really good, getting a lot of those five-plus rushing yard carries as you would have 18 carries for 87 yards rushing and a touchdown on the day. Daniel Jones didn't have to do anything crazy because, once again, he was able to hand the football off to um, off to Saquon Barkley a decent amount in this game as Daniel Jones would go 21-32, 160 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then on the flip side, and then on the flip side for the Washington Commanders, their offense wasn't horrible, but the problem was they would get down into the red zone or get onto and get on or get into uh, Giants territory, and they just could not find any way to get any type of points. Taylor Heineke, 17 to 29, 249 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Now I feel for Taylor Heineke in the in the in kind of the sense of he was getting pressured the entire game. He was running for his life. I mean, he constantly was getting out of the pocket, trying to find some type of way to you know not end up getting sacked. I mean, despite only having three sacks, it felt like he probably should have had more. But a lot of credit needs to be given to Taylor Heineke for that because. That man literally pulled a Max Duggan and carried this team on his back on that final drive. Um, Brian Robinson Jr. had himself another really good game, 89 rushing yards. Jahan Dotson, their first-round pick out of Penn State, he had four receptions for 105 yards receiving and one touchdown. But unfortunately with Taylor Heineke, despite all the positives I'm going to say and everything like that, he would fumble the ball twice, which was very costly. Um... And really, you know, once again, left a lot of empty points on the board because, in reality, Washington could have easily won this game. But those little turnovers and just simply not being able to stop the run game of the Giants is what, you know, really ended up killing them in this game as the New York Giants would go on to win this big-time NFC East matchup 20-12 to over the Washington Commanders as the Giants, they now improve to 8-5-1 and and now are sitting at third in the NFC East and are right, right in the thick of it for a wild card spot and then for the Washington Commanders you know your playoff chances just got a little bit more smaller because once again you're still you're still half a game ahead of the Lions but the Lions the way they've been playing although and all the momentum they've got going on right now not a team you want to have right behind you as the Commanders they now fall to seven six and one now y'all that'll wrap up all of those games we had going on on Thursday Saturday Sunday 
And it was already just an incredible day, incredible weekend of football. Saturday, we had the biggest comeback in NFL history. Sunday, we had all these crazy finishes, the Raiders-Patriots game, the Jacksonville Jaguars and Dallas Cowboys game. And now let's go to Monday night, in which we had one of the more intriguing matchups as we had Baker Mayfield and the L.A. Rams, which that just feels just still weird to say, taking on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers on Monday night football in cold, and I mean cold, cold, cold Lambeau Field. And, you know, for Baker Mayfield and the Rams, they're kind of coming off a, you know, really good game, I guess you could say, last week on Thursday night in which they saw Baker Mayfield lead this team to a comeback win against the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, finally snapped that long losing streak that they had. But now they're going on the road. And, you know, Lamb, if you've ever watched any NFL football, you know Lambeau Field during this time of the year, you absolutely do not want to play there. Absolutely do not. Unless you're the 49ers, then by all means, it becomes like your second home during this time of the year. But um, anyway, in this game, you definitely could tell the cold was a little bit of a factor. But both quarterbacks still played really well considering you know their situations. Both offensive lines have been banged up the entire year. For Baker Mayfield, his is a little bit worse. And it showed in this game as he was constantly getting pressure to him the entire time. As he would have five sacks on the day. So something you definitely do not want with Baker Mayfield. Um, he also would literally get the ball stripped from him, but luckily an offensive lineman would recover it. But Baker Mayfield, considering the conditions, his weapons and everything like that, was not horrible. 12 of 21, 111 yards uh, passing with one touchdown and one interception. We also said, we also saw um, Cam Akers show some life too. I mean, a guy that had a lot of hype going into this year off of last year's Super Bowl win, dealt with a lot of injury issues, trade issues, and you know, finally in this game was able to get you know get going a little bit. 12 carries for 65 yards rushing, um, didn't have a touchdown or anything like that. But for the defensive side of the football of the Rams, they did not have Aaron Donald, who is their main pass rush guy. And you could tell that Aaron Rodgers was absolutely loving the fact that he didn't have to worry about a guy like Aaron Donald, or Aaron Donald in this game. Because Aaron Rodgers would go 22 of 30, 229 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day. Aaron Jones, my God, there's so many Aarons in this league. Aaron Jones, 17 carries for 90 yards rushing. But A.J. Dillon would kind of be the big guy for the Packers in the run game as he would have two rushing touchdowns in this game. And, um, you know, for Green Bay, they also got one of their top targets back in this game who hadn't been back since, I think, week eight or nine when they played the Detroit Lions. And that would be rookie um, rookie wide receiver Romeo Dobbs, who has been very, and I mean, just very consistent this year when he's been on the field but dealt with an injury these past few weeks. And he's finally back in this game. And, you know, he made a huge difference. Five receptions for 55 yards receiving and zero touchdowns, but still a pretty solid game for the young rookie. And, you know, a game that was not really – you know, firepower, 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 firepower. You know, you're going to get all these crazy plays and everything like that. But the Green Bay Packers, they started to show some more alive. And, well, in this must-win game for them, they won when it mattered the most as the Packers would go on to win on Monday Night Football against the L.A. Rams to wrap up Week week 15, 24-12 over Baker Mayfield and the Los Angeles Rams. As the Packers, just somehow their playoff hopes are still alive at 6-8, and eight, which... It's just hilarious. But then for the Rams, they officially have been eliminated and have been the worst Super Bowl or defending Super Bowl team since back in 2003 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as now they are sitting at 4-10. and 10. So, I mean, just what a downfall it's been for the Rams. You know, a team that returned, for the most part, a lot of their players, you know, got a 
decent amount of free agent acquisitions. You got Allen Robinson. You got Bobby Wagner, who Bobby Wagner has still been pretty good this year, but obviously because of how bad the Rams have been, they're not going to talk about him really. But with Allen Robinson, he's out for the rest of the year. So it's just it's been a rough year for the Rams. And, you know, a lot of that could be to the fact that, well, we saw them lose their offensive coordinator, which – large part might have been a huge part of their success and we saw what he's been doing right now you know with the minnesota vikings they're currently at 11 and 3 somehow come back in every single game so i mean it's just it's been a really rough year for the rams but for the packers your hopes are still somehow alive as you beat the rams on monday night football now y'all that'll wrap up all of our games on week 15 all of the just craziness that came from week 15 all of the crazy comebacks the patriots and the raiders the cowboys and jaguars obviously the largest comeback in NFL history on Saturday with the Colts and the Vikings. So, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's recap. Please make sure that you like, comment, share, rate. Do whatever you can because it truly is appreciated by me. And, well, guys, I'll see you all here tomorrow because we'll have our preview episode for Week 16 of the 2022 NFL season. And also we will have the preview episode for College Football Bowl Season Week 2. So, guys, I will see you all then. I hope you all have a great rest of y'all's day. And once again, take care and be awesome. Peace, y'all.